everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Break at the occasion of Pentecost weekend. Or for my American friends, it is uh, Memorial Day weekend. And for my Star Wars friends, this is the 40th anniversary week of Star Wars Return of the Jedi. We'll talk about all those topics and more in this episode. This is going to be a very busy weekend. Tomorrow, I'll be one of the hosts of a big Star Wars convention in Amsterdam. I've been uh, asked to host three panels at the Echo-based charity conference, which will gather um, a couple of hundred Star Wars fans, plus a number of actors and people, other people involved in Star Wars production. So tomorrow, I have the great honor to uh, interview three actors from the original trilogy, as well as two that have played in the sequel movies and also in uh, the newer uh, Star Wars television shows. And I will be interviewing a friend of mine, Justin van der Leck, who is a special effects, or nowadays you say uh, a visual effects supervisor, in um, uh, involved in many different projects uh, currently. And he is right now, as we speak, working on Ahsoka, the upcoming Star Wars series featuring Ahsoka Tano, one of the new characters that we were introduced to in The Clone Wars and in Star Wars Rebels. So it's a huge responsibility. It's a big honor. I'm a, I am have to say I'm a little bit nervous because uh, it's, it's three panels in a row uh, in front of an audience and, of course, in the presence of these uh, revered actors that in some cases have been childhood heroes for most of my life it's 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 just insane to to i have to pinch myself when i realize that i'm going to be talking to actors that i first saw in return of the jedi uh when i was 15 years old <laughs> when the, 40 years ago um so uh it, yes it's it's scary uh, and it's exciting at the same time. So just to give you um, a, a quick um, list of the people that I'll be speaking to tomorrow. First of all, it is, um, I think she's 90 years old now, actress uh, Carolyn Blackiston, uh, who plays the role of, uh, who plays the character of Mon Mothma in that famous scene where she is... Uh, uh, talking about um, the imminent attack on the second Death Star. And then standing next to her in the same scene and also uh, taking over from her is General Crix Medine, who is played by uh, Irish actor Dermot Crowley. And then, last but not, not least, I am super excited to speak with an actor who has played maybe the most famous uh, pilot of the rebellion in Star Wars for all three original movies. Um, it's uh, Mr. Dennis Lawson, who, of course, plays Wedge Antilles. And, of course, we've seen him also very briefly um, in, the, in the firing turret, or whatever you call that, in the Millennium Falcon at the end of the Rise of Skywalker in the final space battle. So um, super exciting to speak to these three actors. Then in my second panel, um, I'll be talking with uh, uh, Justin van der Leck, and uh, he is a, he's a great speaker. He, I always love listening to his stories. He's been 
working on so many movies that that are really in my in my top 20 of favorite movies um i think he was involved in special effects in almost all of them so it's awesome to hear um you know what's happening on set and behind the scenes and how they create these stories visually for us and then in the third panel um i'm going to be talking to two actors who have been both in the movies usually in a pretty small role and then were called back once Disney Plus was launched and they were going to film these television series based on the same you know Star Wars stories that they that they thought they had left behind for good so I'll be talking to Australian actress Bonnie Pease who of course plays young aunt Beru who is tasked with the very important responsibility to raise Luke Skywalker so and then of course we saw her back in uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi television series where she had a, a much bigger role and actually also a, a pretty dynamic role where she had to defend her adoptive child against uh, Reva and uh, against uh, the Empire. Um, I will also be speaking with um, actor Duncan Poe, Pow, I think it's Pow, from Scotland, who uh, you may remember as Sergeant Melshi in the Star Wars movie Rogue One. And of course, we saw him in the entire prison break sequence in Star Wars Andor, which is one of my favorite moments in Star Wars history altogether. So it, it's going to be so cool to be talking to them. And then I'm, I'm off the hook until the evening, because uh, at, I think at 7 or a little bit later, they'll be doing uh, the only uh, screening of Star Wars Return of the Jedi in the Netherlands. For, uh, and, of course, this is all at the occasion of the 40th anniversary of that movie. So I'll be introducing that movie together with these three actors from that had a role in Return of the Jedi. Um, and, and, and that's, that's going to be just, that's just my Saturday. Because then on Sunday, of course, it's Pentecost, which is also a big thing for, a, for priests and for other Catholic and Christians. So that is uh, one of the major feasts in the Catholic Church. Um, I'll have to, I'm celebrating Mass and I'll have to preach here in the parish church next door. So that's basically um, a, a home match. <laughs> and then for the rest of the day, I'll probably going to need to recover from just all the, all the, all the, all the excitement. Thankfully, it's going to be a gorgeous weekend weather-wise. Uh, already today, the sun has been shining, temperatures are, are high, um, so hopefully on, on Sunday, what I'll probably do is just go out for a long walk to let it all sink in. I'm going to be just overstimulated as a Star Wars fan and as a Catholic for almost more than 24 hours. And, um, and I'll probably need some, some recovery time after that. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby taken your first step into a larger world. Once I heard that Disney Plus was going to remove the television series Willow, which is a sequel story based on the original movie starring uh, Warwick Davis, of course. Um, I Once I heard the news that they were going to take that series offline and it wouldn't be available anywhere else, 
uh, because it's not on DVD, it's not on Blu-ray, so you can't watch it anywhere else. And this is all for tax reasons. Uh, we've heard in uh, a financial call just recently that Disney Plus is actually losing Disney a lot of money. And so they are looking for ways to break even. And on the road to breaking even, they are looking for ways to... Um, get some of their money back or to save at least on the expenses. Uh, they've lost uh, a, a lot of, um, uh, of viewers, um, so it's not really growing in terms of, of uh, membership. Not growing yet, because I'm sure over the long run that will happen. Um, and they've been spending a lot of money in these er first few years during the pandemic on, on creating exclusive new content that would bring in new viewers. Um, I was excited to hear that they were doing um, a Willow television series. And uh, I was also happy that it wasn't Marvel and it wasn't Star Wars, because I feel that that uh, with Willow, a, a fantasy series, they've got gold in their hands. They're going to do a Percy Jackson television series as well. I love it that they are kind of broadening the overall storytelling landscape. Um, however... Once that series was presented and they launched it on Disney+, Plus, it failed to find an audience right away. And I am partially to blame for that. I watched the first two episodes, and even though I, I love to see the world again and uh, being introduced to these younger actors and actresses that were accompanying Willow on a new quest, um, the first two episodes were a little bit disappointing. They didn't really hit the mark yet. It felt like the, the, the story wasn't interesting enough. I really had to get used to what they did with the dialogue. They they used the the whole narrative context of the movie, but then the the dialogue is very modern, very quippy, very fast, and almost a bit, at least for me, a bit jarring at the beginning. So I kind of let it sit there for a while. I'm like, oh, I'll get back to this. I've got other series to watch. But once I got the news that this series would be gone, maybe forever, um, I spent two days, uh, day before yesterday and then yesterday evening, until late at night to watch the remaining six episodes. It's, it's an eight-episode uh, first season. And I was so wrong about Willow. It was so much better than I initially thought it would be. It took a while for this season to get going, but once you familiarize yourself with the, with the characters and these different actors and actresses start to display the chemistry that is obviously there and has been on set and during production, once you get used to the more modern approach and the humor that they injected into the story, I just couldn't stop watching. Is it a perfect series? No, no, but none of the television series are perfect, but it was definitely getting better and better. There is a little bit of, um, I would say, unevenness in uh, mostly the, 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 the pacing of the story. Some of the episodes just are too long and just need more cuts, especially the the, um, the episode uh, where they walk across the shattered sea. 
Um, it's a very long episode, almost an hour. Um, and it's all setting things up for the finale. And I felt that that particular episode could have, you know, benefited from uh, some extra editing. Um, there was a fantastic but very creepy episode, number four, where it's almost a horror movie. It, it's really scary, uh, really creepy, um, but surprising because it's a very different genre all of a sudden in the story, and I love that they, they, they experimented with the storytelling. And then the finale was just insanely good. It was such a... Uh, a, a wonderful, impressive, action-packed finale with beautiful character arcs. I mean, at first, a lot of people were criticizing Disney for introducing us to um, uh, to a number of characters, or at least two main female characters that fall in love with one another. And so people were like, "Oh, this is typically Disney. They're you know they're pushing a political agenda here, an ide- ideological agenda," and. Um, to a certain extent, I, I can I can see why people would have that criticism. Although this is something that is, of course, not exclusive to Disney. All all you know, newer series and, and movies are doing that uh, because because our society is changing and, and stories reflect what's going on in society. So I personally didn't really have a problem with that. I would have a problem with it if it had gotten into in the way of the story. But the more you get to know these characters, the more you kind of sympathize with their plight and how they grow to, towards one another, the more actually I really enjoyed even that, you know, that part of the story. And um, the, 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 these characters at first seemed a bit off, off-putting, especially the, the, um, some of the female characters. Um, but later on, you discover that actually this is because of the story. There is a lot that has happened in, the, in their life, and it, towards the end, th- there is redemption for all these characters. And also Willow, at first, was, a, was different from what I expected. Uh, I, I remember that in a movie, he was this wide-eyed you know, 17-year-old actor. I think he was 17 or 19-year-old. I'm, uh, I'm currently reading Warwick Davis' uh, um, autobiography, Size Matters Not, which, by the way, highly recommended. I will talk about it in the book section of this show. Um, he is um, playing a, a much older, obviously, um, but also much grumpier version of, um, of, of this very optimistic uh, young Willow that he played in the original movie. And it, it uh, kind of immediately made me think of the way uh, they portrayed Luke Skywalker in, um, in the sequel movies, uh, where all of a sudden he seems to be a bit bitter and uh, isolated and grumpy and not willing to embark on an adventure. With Warwick Davis' character, they seem to do the same. However, this too is part of the story they are trying to tell, and I think they gave his character arc a much more positive spin than that of Luke Skywalker. Um, and so, and towards the end, it's almost as if of the original, you know, vibrant, optimistic Warwick uh, Davis, or I would say, I should say, uh, Willow is is back, and he's he's ready for more adventures, and he's willing to uh, to join these other actors on their quest. One thing that uh, shocked me and and also saddened me is that the the story ends. Well, it, it it does wrap up the the overall narrative of the first season. 
but it ends with a cliffhanger. There is something that is unresolved, and it's pretty important. And it features one of the characters, one of the actors that I really, really enjoyed seeing in this first season. And I, I keep saying it's the first season because I, I am still hopeful that Disney at one point will will realize what they're throwing away if they decide to cancel and to get rid of this show. Um, but there's so much potential, and these actors and actresses are so good. Um, it's 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 really a bad bad mistake to let go of this series. So um, I know, of course, that Disney is also a business. They have to make money. They're shareholders that uh, otherwise are going to um, be very, very unhappy if Disney doesn't take measures. But I would say th they have such a big back catalog. Leave Willow where it is. Just keep it there. It's too good to get rid of it. And I know, I'm very convinced, that over time, the series will find its audience. It just needs a little bit more time. And maybe in the way they marketed this and that they, they, they launched this series, it just... It, 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 I think a lot of people that gave it a chance, watched the first two episodes, like me, thought, hey, it's on, uh, it's on Disney+. Plus. I can watch this later. Uh, uh, the first two episodes just really didn't um, show the, the full the full power of this series. And it's only if you watch the thing all the way to the end that you realize that this is maybe one of the best productions on Disney+. Plus. It's got a lot of heart. I love the humor. There, I, there were so many times per episode that I was laughing out loud. I cannot remember the last time that I was laughing out loud in front of my television. That's how how good the humor is and the delivery is. And at the end of the story, I really cared for, for that group of, of, of characters. And I want to see what happens next. And I, I really want to continue to follow these people on their adventures. Worst case scenario, if there's never going to be a sequel, they, they, they could maybe give us a few novels or, or comic books. But this story, these characters deserve a follow-up. And I am very impressed with what they did um, over the course of this series. And gosh, I, I just hope that, that Disney will, will, will get to realize that this is not something to discard. Uh, this is not something to throw away. This, is, this, this, deser this merits to be on Disney+. Plus. All right, <laughs> that's what I want to say. What else have I, have I been watching lately? I'm still watching Succession, which is a totally different television show. As you know, it's um, not recommended to, to watch with your family. Uh, there is a, a lot of very crude language in there. It's, I would say it's like Game of Thrones without dragons playing in, a, in, in, you know, in, in today's uh, America. Um, but but the writing is so good. The character development is incredible. Um, the even even the, all these people are extremely broken and they do horrible things. There's not one single redeeming character in there. There are a few side characters that are kind of sympathetic and you root for them, but even they do pretty terrible things. Um, but it's such a riveting series. I've, I've, I, I am not surprised that this is um, currently at the top of, of, of um, viewership right now. It's an incredible production. But again, 
not recommended to watch with your kids. And even if you don't have kids and you're watching this as an adult, there's a lot in there that is morally objectionable and that will make you go like, oh my goodness, I cannot, no, no. <laughs> but it's a story, you know, and it's, it's, it's a... It's very good writing, very good acting. So I can't wait to see. Uh, what I'm trying to do is to catch up with the last season, which is currently underway. Um, I heard that they were they have been filming with a um, in a Jesuit church in in New York, if I'm not mistaken. I saw an update uh, on on Twitter um, talking about that. So that's going to be interesting. Um, and, and of course, I want to know how it ends. You know, who is going to succeed to this big? Um, powerful media uh, mogul. Um, maybe, maybe no one will. Maybe I, I don't know how they're going to wrap up this story, but it's uh, it's excellent. Um, and 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 that's about it. I am still watching Star Wars Rebels. I'm contemplating doing like a rewatch uh, on my YouTube channel so I can um, watch it with my audience, with my Star Wars audience. And of course, that would be a, a really good preparation for Star Wars Ahsoka, which will, uh, which will be launched in the fall and will feature a lot of characters from Star Wars Rebels. So um, there's some really intriguing uh, rumors going about. Uh, uh, tomorrow when I'll be interviewing Justin van der Leck, of course, he will be not be able to talk ab about Ahsoka at all because he's under NDA. That, that it's, Disney is very strict when it comes to uh, f upcoming series. But um, one rumor that I heard and that I think would be amazing is that Tamuera Morrison, of course, who plays in the book of Boba Fett, plays the character of Boba Fett, is this time going to play Rex, one of the clones. So they'll bring him back as another character, but because he's, it's a clone of Boba Fett... Can look the same. Um, I think that would be a fantastic idea. It would also explain why they haven't announced anything about a sequel to the Book of Boba Fett, which I still think they should do, because of course they are first planning this. Um, so maybe maybe next year we'll hear some more about that. Um, so anyway, it's 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 going to be such an amazing year for Star Wars fans. Um, uh, I'm still watching. Um, uh, Vinland, the Vinland Saga. Uh, that's the only anime series that I'm currently watching, but I also would like to do a rewatch uh, once once I have a little bit more time of um, uh, both a Neon Genesis Evangelion because I still get so many hits on those videos. As there's such a huge interest in, in discovering these Christian symbols that are part of the story, or at least of the visuals. Um, and I would also like to do um, a video commentary on each individual episode of the first season of Chainsaw Man, which in itself is not, you know, doesn't have any religious, uh, or like explicit religious uh, themes or, or symbols. However, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening there in terms of archetypes and, um, you know, you could say psychological themes. Um, so th there is quite a bit of depth in Chainsaw Man as well, even though, <laughs> again, not a not an anime series for kids, um, so all that will keep me probably busy for for months to come. <laughs> and that was the jingle that I already played. So let's move on. <laughs> Catholics rock. It's time for a quick visit to the Peculiar Bunch. That's the place where you can ask anything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. 
Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? So let's talk about Pentecost. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit. And let's talk about some of the misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. Now, in previous weeks, I've been talking quite a bit about the Holy Spirit and how you can, how you have to first see the Holy Spirit, where this idea of the Holy Spirit comes from, and also how it, how the, the Holy Spirit manifests itself. It's one of the three per- persons of the Holy Trinity, of course, but it's it's someone who whose presence you notice because of the way he influences people and uh, he works through us whenever we do something out of love um whenever we create something the holy spirit is there because he is the creator um however uh, this can also lead to some misunderstandings that i want to address um Of course, the Holy Spirit is already very present in the minds of uh, the apostles and the first disciples after Jesus uh, went back to his father um, during the ascension uh, and after the actual manifestation of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem on the 50th day after the resurrection, um, the the apostles start to become familiar with the Holy Spirit. Their first experience is a very you know, basic, uh, almost physical experience of the Holy Spirit. It's a fire in them. It makes them speak in different languages. The Holy Spirit gives them power to do miracles. But later on, you see that the Holy Spirit also is mentioned as having a role in the actual institutionalization of the church. The church is not just a charismatic entity, It's not just like, oh, we're just a group of people and we just do whatever we feel like. No, you see that in very early stages of um, the Christian community, uh, the apostles are putting structures in place to safeguard the organization, to make sure that they don't have any blind spots. Like, for instance, at at one point they're talking with each other and they're like, we can't do everything everywhere at once, (laughs) everywhere at once. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, we cannot both, uh, you know, celebrate liturgy and and preach and uh, and pray, and at the same time spend all our time with the people that Jesus would go to, like the poor, the the people, the 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 homeless, the 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 widows and the the, the sick. We need to institute a certain structure to make sure that we have other people in our community that can focus on that and fully focus on that. So you already see in the early stories that are uh, narrated in in the Acts of the Apostles and also in some of the letters um, that they are uh, putting structures in place that will ultimately, of course, end in this the structure of the Catholic Church as we know it right now. And it's a structure that has continually grown and evolved and has gone through a lot of corrections and sometimes even like revolutions. Um, and I'm, I'm certain that that will continue to happen. But it is important to notice that the apostles mentioned that they are putting these structures in place in prayer, after consulting in prayer, um, and a- after listening to the Holy Spirit. But that's not the only thing. It's not purely charismatic. It's also 
whilst talking amongst each other. There's also apparently um, a certain working of the Holy Spirit through these different apostles. And they are not always agreeing on stuff. They sometimes discuss and they, 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 they fight. And then I think we should do this. No, I think we should do that. And what about this? And then ultimately, it is in prayer with the Holy Spirit that they decide, and it's usually Peter, who is the head of the apostles, who gets to get the gets to have the final word. So you see that in the structures, even though there is there is definitely a a specific place for the Holy Spirit, it's not just purely charismatic. And this is why uh, this is I want to mention this because in some Christian circles and also in the Catholic Church, sometimes people will will th- think that. As long as they feel that it's the Holy Spirit who speaks to them and who moves them into a certain direction, that is what should be done. And they can, this happens in in parishes, this happens in in movements, in in new movements, where some people will say, will claim that, well, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and, and motioned them to do this and therefore since it's the holy spirit and we feel it is the holy spirit this should happen this does forget however that again what you already see in the bible itself in the gospels and in in the letters themselves in the acts of the apostles that there is a discernment is not just purely charismatic it's not because you or i feel like this is the holy spirit that automatically everybody needs to agree on that. No, there is actually um, a communal aspect where the church listens to all its members and together in a communal way discerns if this is truly the Holy Spirit or not. And one of the signs that it is the Holy Spirit is that it's not just one person who has this idea, but it comes from different directions. And this is how... um, the church in its core is a synodal church. This, this, you may have heard of this term in what's going on currently worldwide in the Catholic Church, this synodal process where Pope Francis has been uh, one of the instigators of this reform of the Catholic Church in a sense that we rediscover how important it is to discern what the Holy Spirit is trying to, to teach us today and how he's trying to innovate and renovate his church and renew his church but at the same time that we discover what he wants and the the future that he points at through listening to through this listening process by coming together worldwide by by letting people speak freely without censorship without fear and at the same time to have that communal discernment is this truly what the holy spirit is telling us and what if this person says this and the other person says that that's not new to have disagreements in the church that's been there since the very beginning but what we sometimes forget is that the church is neither fully charismatic without any structure nor is it fully hierarchical where it's just the you know, the higher-ups that get to say what what God wants and what the Holy Spirit wants. Now, together, we are all uh, bearers of the, of the Holy Spirit. We all have our personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And it's only when we put everything together that we can find out what the Holy Spirit truly wants us to do. And then, and then ultimately, 
there is this hierarchy in the Catholic Church where the final decisions are taken by the shepherds, by the people that are the, the successors of the apostles. This is the way it's always been done in the church since the very beginning. But it doesn't mean that these bishops can claim that they are the only one, the only ones who know where the church should go. No, they need everybody involved. And I think that is a massive, massive... Um, uh, it, 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 how do you say that? It, this, this is this is one of the ways in which I believe that the Catholic Church is going to renew itself, and is going to get through these difficult times. Uh, it, but we need to give the Holy Spirit the the room that he needs. Uh, he knows where we should go, but we forget to listen, and and sometimes it's out of. Panic sometimes. Sometimes it's this misplaced conservative attitude, like, "Well, we've never done it this way, and this is just how we do things." And then, too bad if it doesn't work anymore. No, 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 no. A church that doesn't grow is sick. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the creator. So, if the church doesn't create new things anymore and isn't uh, is unable to touch the heart of people with love, then you have to ask yourself if you are open enough for the workings of the Holy Spirit. So this, this is why I believe that we are going through some historical moments in the Catholic Church, and I, I think few people realize how important this phase is. And with all the criticism that some people have about uh, Pope Francis and about uh, his particular, the accents that he has and the, or the, the, the focus that he, that he has on certain things and maybe his disregard for other, other important things, I think only in, maybe in a, in a century from now we will look back on this time and we may discover that this was a quite prophetic pope and someone who set in motion something that will have an impact on the church for centuries to come. That's my personal opinion, of course. Uh, you may not agree with that, but that's how I see it. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? All right, let's talk about books. Uh, the first book that I wanted to mention here is a book that I read um, just two days ago, written by um, a commando, like someone who was in, has been in the military in the Netherlands for many years. Um, and, and in the top, you know, the, the, the most hardcore military that you can have. At one point in his career, he was asked to feature in a television series or television show that was very popular. And after that experience, he decided to write this book to give us an insight in how, how you become a, a commando and, and uh, what kind of mindset you need to have. And I was surprised to really enjoy this book. It, I, I'm not a military guy. There was a time in my life that I actually wanted to join the Navy. This was way before I, I, I discovered that I was actually called to be a priest. But there was something about joining the army that felt noble and, and, and um, you know, for the common good. I was very idealistic at the time, still am. And I, I felt that, you know, standing up for what's right, defending my country against, uh, against evil, yes. I, I cannot become a Jedi because that's unfortunately in another galaxy, but at least I can, you know, join, join the, 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 the armed forces. 
None of that happened, but it was really cool to read the story about someone who's a lot younger than I am, uh, but to, to read about this, those same ideals and that same appeal of, of the military life as something that helps you to transcend your own little life and, you know, putting your life in, 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 um, in, the, in the balance for a greater goal. I think that that's something that many of us have felt at a certain time in our lives. And what I really liked about the book is that he talks a lot about mindset. You know, um, of course, the, the, the training to become a, a commando is grueling. It's extremely demanding, puts you under high pressure for, for years. But that's all because they want you to be prepared for, for real-life situations where if you are unable to handle that, that kind of stress and you have not learned to... Um, to know what to do in in, um, in in sudden situations, you're gonna lose your life, and maybe you you would even put uh, the life of your fellow uh, people in 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 uh, in danger. So he talks a lot about uh, dealing with stress, how to how to de-stress. The, 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 there's a lot of uh, uh, practical advice when it comes to breathing techniques. Um, how how do you deal with anxiety? Um, how do you do? How do you deal with self doubt? You know, when when things seem to go wrong. At one point, he is uh, he's still in the, in the final stages of his formation, and he breaks his foot. But it's during the final week, and if he doesn't get through all the training, he will not be admitted to the commandos. And so he he survives basically with a broken foot for three four days. And he talks about how all what he learned from that experience. Um, he also has some very good things to say about leadership and how sometimes, you know, you have leaders everywhere, but you've got good leaders, you've got bad leaders. And what makes, for, what makes a bad leader? And then he, he mentions a, a number of aspects of, of bad leadership. And I'm thinking, oh, I think I've worked for people that were leaders like that. Maybe I made th those mistakes in my, own, in my own life where I was called to uh, lead certain people. Um, but he also uh, talks a lot about what, what is good leadership. How can you be a good leader? And one of the things that he, he uh, stresses is a leader has to be empathetic. You need to know who you are leading and what's going on. You need to be humble. Uh, you have to get rid of your ego because there is a lot. Sometimes you have to take the lead. You have to be strong. But oftentimes... It, uh, the best leaders listen to the people that they lead because, and this kind of joins what I just said about the Holy Spirit. Um, the, the people that you are uh, asked to lead have sometimes a different perspective. They may have insights that you missed. So listen to listening to everybody before you take your decisions can actually really help you to uh, to find the right direction. So fantastic, um, fantastic book, really inspiring. Um, and uh, surprisingly applicable to my own life. You'll you'll probably hear me talk about this uh, in the future in in future episodes of of the walk, where I usually talk about uh, you know mindset and uh, my mindset and the lack thereof. So um, make sure to follow follow the walk with Father Roderick if you're interested in those topics. There was another book that I wanted to talk about that I mentioned, but I now I forgot what it was. Um, <laughs> I think. Well, one book that I definitely want to read is um, The Making of uh, Return of the Jedi. I picked that up on the Kindle a while ago. And um, it's uh, normally it's a coffee table book. So it's I, I've got the, 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 the book dedicated to The Making of A New Hope. 
um, which is a gorgeous book with, with lots of un- never-seen-before photos and uh, inside interviews. I always like to read about the, the, the creative process that, that brought us these movies. And, uh, and so I, I got the Kindle version or the iPad version of the, of the Return of the Jedi book. But I, I had high hopes to be able to read that before I was hosting all these Star Wars panels, so I would actually know what I'm talking about. But that's just my anxiety. That's just my imposter syndrome talking. I am... I've been a lifelong Star Wars fan. I know what I'm talking about. And sure, I have to sit down for a while and come up with some good questions because, uh, you know, the, we only have 45 minutes with per panel. So I want to make sure that uh, the people there and also the actors um, are, are able to hear about the this, this stuff that they where they really have something to say. So that's up to me to find the right open questions for that but I don't have to be the expert. I'm just the interviewer. I just ask the questions and I, my, my job is to let other people talk. <laughs> so that's what I will try to do. I, I don't remember what I was going to talk about, <laughs> uh, what other book, but uh, that will have to wait until, until next week. Let's dive into the kitchen and let's see what's on the menu today. I have an entire fridge full of vegetables and all sorts of, uh, you know, leftover stuff. And for me, every every evening is a joy to dive into the kitchen and to come up with new recipes, new things that I can make with ingredients that I'm very familiar with. And sometimes that works well and sometimes not at all. One of these leftover veggies that is usually in a in a faraway corner of my fridge is red cabbage. I am not a fan of red cabbage. And this is partially, I think, a childhood trauma where the only way uh, that I got served red cabbage was cooked, usually with some some sugary, it was kind of sweet, and it's but it's cabbage, and cooked cabbage, it, it, it never worked for me. Now, since, since my youth, of course, I've learned the, the wonders of the wok and that sometimes you can just use cabbage as a, one of the staple ingredients for a, for a uh, you know, fried rice or something like that. Um, but with red cabbage, it's kind of hard because it's very... Um, the color goes everywhere and it has a much stronger taste than white cabbage. So I had this red cabbage sitting there and I was like, what am I going to do with this thing? And then I saw a, a cool TikTok video of a, an American chef who currently lives in Maastricht in the Netherlands. And she uh, showed how to make pickled cabbage. And you can combine pickled cabbage with, for instance, a, a tuna salad. And I was like, oh, that sounds like the perfect thing for, for Fridays. Plus, I can, I can prepare this in advance and, and leave it in the fridge for probably weeks, if not longer, because it's pickled, so it won't go bad. And it's so easy to make. You just take the red cabbage, you slice it into small, small pieces, you fill a jar, a glass jar, with a vinegar. It can be any type of vinegar, so I just use the regular vinegar. You add some peppercorn, pep, pep, yeah, peppercorns, that's how it's called, um, some, some cloves of garlic, some um, whatever, you know, other, um, some, uh, some mustard seeds, um, uh, some sugar also, and then you, um, you just put the cabbage in there, close the lid, um, did I have to cook the cabbage? I'm starting to wonder, did I cook the ca- No, I didn't cook the cabbage. I don't know. It was just raw cabbage. 
Did I blanch it? Maybe I blanched it? I don't, I don't recall. I don't think I did. I just put it in there, and you shake the, the jar, put it in... No, wait a minute. There was something that... Oh, yes, uh, now I remember. You have to cook... You have to boil the vinegar, the vinegar solution. So it's vinegar plus water. I think it's half-half. Um, plus the sugar, etc. You cook that, and then you put the... Uh, you put the cabbage in that for just, maybe you just blanch it very briefly, and then it, it has to cool down in the jar. And then once it's completely cooled down, you put it in the fridge. And it's so good. So I made myself tuna, a tuna salad, which also you can make that in many different ways. Um, still looking for the perfect recipe. So if any of you has a, a good recipe for tuna salad, um, just ping me, because I'd, I'd love to try it, some, some recipes. But then that on some, some toast, it's amazing. So you first put a layer of tuna salad and then you add some of that pickled rat cabbage. You're like, where have you been all my life? This is so good. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. There's one more thing we need to talk about, and that is, of course, the upcoming Apple WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference. In two weeks from now, Apple is maybe going to host one of its most important WWDCs in a decade. This could be one of those game-changing moments for Apple or... This may be one of those moments when, in a couple of years, we look back on it. We th- you remember what they introduced there in 2023? It's a good thing they, they never talk about that anymore because, my goodness, what were they thinking? I'm always optimistic, and I'm excited because this may be finally the year that we will get to see Apple's AR VR headset. It's just going to be the first iteration of that product. Um, it's going to be very expensive. It's going to be extremely high-end when it comes to the, the, the various elements that go into the production of these headsets. But this is the beginning of maybe something that is equal to the revolution that they brought us with the iPhone. It's that potent- it has that much potential. And I think that Apple does this in the same way they've, they've been so successful with other similar product introductions. They've been looking at the market, they've been observing what all the others are doing, and then they are looking at it, so what would we do with this? How can we make this the Apple way? And so it's going to be high quality. They've taken years and years to develop this and to think about you know, what does this need to be able to do before it's market ready. And so it will not be like, for instance, the Quest, uh, the Oculus Quest, and now the Meta Quest, that still feels like a bit of a gimmick. And in many, many households that originally were super excited about it, I'm one of those households, it's gathering dust because, yeah, it's not yet entirely there. What I like about the concept that Apple is applying to their headsets is it has to be both VR and AR. It will have apparently um, 
a dial and you can switch between like a fully closed set of goggles where every the only thing you see is what's projected on those two 4K screens that are manufactured by Sony apparently. Or you can use the built-in cameras, and there are going to be a lot of them, to create, to recreate the world outside of your of your goggles and then use the graphics capabilities and the computing power of the goggles to overlay it with useful information. And so um, this is all brand new technology. Uh, you need quite a bit of computing power to make it look good, obviously. And so it's not surprising that it took them years to launch this product. And even now, internally, apparently, there's still a lot of people that are skeptical. You know, is this, is this not too early? If, what if it's not good enough? What, you know, and I think that, that um, Tim Cook and uh, the people that ultimately decided to, um, to, uh, to greenlight this were thinking, well, you know, think back of the first iPhone. There were no apps on the first iPhone. It was just almost a proof of concept, but it worked really well for what it did. And over time, a couple of years later, it became the standard. The Apple Watch, same thing. When the, once they launched the Apple Watch, everybody was like, well, pff, why would you pay hundreds of euros or, or dollars for a watch? And now, five, six years later, it's, it's, I am one of those converts. At first, I was like, yeah, I don't need an expensive Apple Watch. You know, I'll just get myself a simple step counter, and that basically does 90% of the things I, I expect a watch to do. Now that I have an Apple Watch, I'm thinking, this has totally changed my life. I use this day and literally day and night, and it is so incredibly useful. But at first, that was not obvious at all. It's only over time that they figured out what this thing could do. And because these, these, these headsets are such a new way of, of helping the user to navigate the world, I think that it may take them a couple of years before we actually understand why, why this is the future. One of the things that intrigues me is how it will look. Uh, apparently it's going to be a bit like ski goggles, but if you've ever seen a photo of me wearing the Quest, the Meta Quest, it looks so dorky. And no way I would wear this in public, ever. Because it's just like your... If it would be as cool as like Geordi's visor in Star Trek, then maybe, yes. But no, this is a huge, big pair of goggles on your head. And, and if someone looks at you... It, they feel like you are not in the room with them. You're completely closed off. Apparently, Apple is finding a way around that by projecting your eyes. There are cameras on the inside. And by showing your eyes on the outside of the device. And I'm thinking, yeah, I can see how that would totally uh, mitigate the isolation that is part of, of the experience. But isn't that going to look super dorky to have your eyes projected on the outside of goggles? That, that, that can look so creepy. So how are they going to do that? I just cannot wait to see what they came up with. And, and what we will see, the end result is probably going to be uh, like an internal iteration of, of something that looked totally different when they first start, started developing this 10 years ago. 10 years ago. So um, the other rumor that's going around is that they will first focus this on video conferencing not on entertainment whereas meta 
uh, yes, they hope that we will all step into the metaverse, but that's not really taking off, and most people use it for video games. And I think that that will probably be in the back of the mind of, of Apple, like, yeah, yeah, entertainment, that's going to be uh, a, a, a huge part of the reasons why people want to get these goggles. But f this first iteration is going to be so expensive. We need to target the business market, and we need to target developers that can invest in this. And so the game developers, they don't make much money. Um, so you want to get the big people on board, you know, the creators of, I don't know, like conferencing software, Zoom and Microsoft and Notion. And I don't know, apparently you will also be able to use any t 2D app on the iPad inside the, 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 the view of the, of the headset. So that's a very smart move to ensure that there's a lot of software from day one. But uh, again, I'm, I'm excited about it. I probably won't get the first iteration because it's just, you know, version one. But I am very hopeful that Apple will get this right and, um, and that with this will, in the end, maybe deliver us from staring at this, these tiny screens of our, of our phones in the future. This may be the ultimately the end of vertical video. You know, if one day we could just walk around wearing these glasses and, well, we, we may need horizontal video again because that's how we perceive the world. So I, I don't know. I'm just speculating. Um, but it's cool to be kind of witnessing a potential big shift in the history of computing and, and, and uh, consumer electronics. So super super excited about that and with that it is time to wrap things up thank you so much for the privilege of your time keep an eye on my youtube channels i should say channels in plural because i'm also posting quite a bit of stuff on my lego channel brick priest and also on my main channel there will be obviously a lot of star wars stuff i'm gonna take my camera with me tomorrow during the uh, echo base con and maybe i'll uh, I'll be able to film a couple of interesting um, interviews as well. At least I'll film my impressions. Um, this episode, like all my episodes, is brought to you thanks to my patrons. Um, so thank you so much if you are a, an existing patron or a new patron. And I hope you enjoy the company of uh, the rest of your fellow patrons on our Discord server. If you're interested, if you have the ability to support me in my work, um, go over to patreon.com slash fatheroderick and take a look, see if it's something you uh, would like to support. What quote can I end with? <laughs> it's gotta be Star Wars, right? Oh boy, can the chat room suggest something? Probably not. <laughs> There's always a bit of a delay. But in 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 case of, of need, always revert to Yoda. Do or do not. There is no try. May the force be with you. <laughs>